Welcome to the 23rd episode of Heavier Than I Look, a podcast dedicated to healing, recovery, and storytelling. My name is Kira Rousseau, and I'm your host. If you feel that listening may aggravate your suffering or complicate your recovery, please take this notice as a trigger warning. Discuss with your support system as necessary, and as always, take what you need and leave what you don't. Today's episode is dedicated to all those who are on their own body acceptance or self-love journeys. Know that I feel for you and am wishing you the courage to keep taking steps forward. Radical self-acceptance is incredibly difficult, yet it is important to prioritize your relationship with your body, as it is the longest relationship you will ever have. Here's to celebrating and cultivating peace within our bodies. We've talked extensively about the different modes and facets of recovery, namely in episode 8, Recover and Relapse. One of the biggest questions and concerns in the recovery community that I have encountered is that of celebrating a new body, one that may or may not have been through weight change. This is a question I haven't quite found a good answer to, especially considering that I have had to embark on my own journey of body acceptance a journey that has restarted many times as my recovery encountered obstacles. There are two movements, body positivity and body neutrality, both of which I believe give equally important and valid approaches to this question of how to love your body. They have different perspectives, though, and whichever one chooses to adopt is normally dependent on the individual themselves. Both are valuable yet may be needed at different times or in different lives. For weight restoration, the body has to use food to reconstruct. This reconstruction is used to restore body tissue lost during starvation. Tissue, organs, bones, muscles, joints, cells, blood, skin, hair, nails, and hormones are rebuilt. It is common to experience uncomfortable GI symptoms, during weight restoration, such as bloating in the stomach, face, wrists, ankles, constipation, diarrhea, headaches, low blood sugar, night sweats, and increased anxiety. This discomfort is temporary as the body readjusts to proper nutrition. If these symptoms persist, it may be the sign of gastrointestinal complications, as covered in episode 19, Gastrointestinal Complications After Eating Disorders. Typically, recovery means weight change. Regardless of the eating disorder, eating more often and regularly and with more nutritional substance results in bodily change. The physical changes are perhaps the biggest challenge to accept in recovery, as they may be observable and often are the opposite of what was desired by the eating disorder during the suffering. It is not a quick fix, unfortunately. And there is no single right answer in learning to love ourselves, mutability and all. Regardless, it is a mental reckoning necessary. Here are some things that help me. Number one, celebrate your body. Our bodies are more than fluctuation, more than gains or losses. Celebrate what they do, not how they appear, if this feels right in your stage of recovery. Consider writing letters of gratitude for your body at every, at every stage, pre, 
post, during recovery, or to specific body parts that are particularly distressing. You may also use a DBT skill, which is dialectical behavioral therapy, and this is called opposite action. So nourish your body when you don't want to. Prepare food when you get the urge to restrict. Buy new clothes instead of distressing over the old, perhaps triggering clothing. Speaking of clothing, be mindful. You might have to give up your favorite pair of jeans, but gift yourself a new one, even if it is a size or multiple sizes up. Donate your old clothes so you give away what may have once served you. Respect your body. Try to structure an open communication system between yourself and your body. So if it wants to move, move. If it wants to rest, rest. And most importantly, if it wants to eat, eat. Be aware that your body will stock up reserves until it knows you are regularly going to feed it. Your eating disorder has encouraged you to punish your body enough, but it now needs that reassurance that you will look after it. And this might take time, days, weeks, months, maybe even years, to where your body can trust you. This trust is built by eating regularly, drinking fluids, particularly water, that might help with digestion. I would also recommend to not exercise during or beyond the restoration period, unless that you have agreed to this with your support system. Bombard and inundate yourself with messages of body acceptance. So on social media, make a healthy space for yourself to get support from people online. The eating disorder recovery community is especially helpful with this. If you go to my Instagram, at heavier than I look, you can find recovery advocates in who I follow or follow along with a story highlight featured on my profile, which is named Recovery Recommendations. Also, be sure to set boundaries in real life. If someone doesn't support your recovery or your new changing body, they are not welcome in your life. Consider going weightless. Get rid of your scale. Don't measure yourself by weight, by, you know, inches, by any of those metrics that may have once come to determine your self-worth. Going weightless also requires a bit of advocacy in a medical context. For example, you have to ask not to be weighed when you go to the doctor's office or do a blind weigh-in where you're turned away from the number on the scale and ask to not see your medical documents if they do list your weight. If this is something that you need, ask for it. I certainly did. Also know that weight restored does not equal cured of your eating disorder. And no weight or size or BMI correlates with being recovered. Often, quote, 
physical restoration occurs more rapidly than mental restoration, end quote. The physical domains of the illness often receive the most attention in early recovery, yet they are accompanied by even more challenging and painful emotional and psychological domains which require their own healing. A certain weight does not mean a certain label, recovered, struggling, and relapsed included. Quote, You may surpass goal weights on your journey to making peace with food. Your body knows best, and it's only doing whatever is integral to your optimal health and well-being. End quote. Eliminate body checking and triggers during this delicate process. So avoid mirrors as much as possible and any other triggers that might disrupt your peace during recovery. Eventually, we have to wrestle with our appearance. It is a reckoning in the life of every survivor. Yet delay this as long as you need to. Protect your peace and delay until you feel you can confront your reflection again. Also consider reframing weight gain. Asking yourself questions such as, what do you love that you've gained other than weight? More sleep, normalized hunger cues, fertility, hormonal balance, an exciting future, no longer preoccupied with food 24-7, more fruitful relationships, cooking without being triggered, no more guilt? What do you love about your recovered self or what do you love about your recovered life? And don't beat yourself up for who you are not. Recovered Kira is not sick Kira, so why would I compare the two? Also consider repeating affirmations to yourself. you might pick out any one of the following. Quote, I have infinite permission to take up space. End quote. Quote, My weight gain is not necessary of justification to my eating disorder or to others. End quote. Quote, I am a human, not a body. There's more to me than my appearance. End quote. Know your reasons to recover. Consider making a handwritten list to continue fighting against the potential distress caused from bodily or weight change, and refer to this handwritten list when you are struggling to cope. Remind yourself of how you want to live your life and what you would love to contribute to the world, even if it is just to help one person, yourself. Also recognize the reality of weight suppression which often results in a relentless food anxiety and guilt, an incessant mental hunger, insomnia, being deprived of energy, loss of meaningful relationships with family and friends, isolation from loved ones, loss of your own voice with an existence solely focused on your next bite, and regretting your last. These are all things that helped me, and I used all of them at different points and in different intensities, but at one point or another over the past couple of years, I've used all of these things. So pick what you think might work and then go from there. Please refer back to this list as necessary. 
Also, if you have any additions or anything that may have helped you, I would love to hear them. Please reach out to me on my Instagram at Heavier Than I Look. There are typically two approaches to body acceptance, body neutrality and body positivity. The body positivity movement found its roots in the fat acceptance movement of the late 1960s, which focused on ending a culture of fat discrimination and shame. It emerged again in 2012, with an altered focus on unrealistic beauty standards for women, pushing for a belief that all bodies are beautiful, not just the ones that fit a slim and Eurocentric standard. It is important to note that body positivity has historically excluded certain marginalized populations, including transgender people who feel as though their physical body may not match their gender, or people living with disabilities who may not love their body that prevents them from free movement. Further, conventionally attractive white non-disabled people began to take over the concept of body positivity, pushing people of color, people with larger bodies, and people with disabilities to the fringes. The try-harder-to-love-yourself mentality often bars many from participating in body positivity and may not be realistic for the many in recovery from an eating disorder. Veering sharply from body hate to love is often not conceivable, and the overemphasis on physical appearance as a component of self-worth is one that many find issue with. Quote, Body positivity can feel like too much of a challenge for any number of reasons, including a history of trauma, internalizing weight stigma, and or feeling restricted because of their body's limitations. Body neutrality is a place to start to reverse the impact of internalizing the trauma of weight bias and stigma. End quote. It is often not a gratifying process, especially for those who spent time manipulating their body through restriction or purging. And thus, body positivity is not the only answer. Body neutrality began in, began in 2015 when former college fitness instructor Anne Poria created a body neutrality workshop in Vermont. Body neutrality, quote, allows us to think less about the way our bodies appear in negative or positive ways and instead appreciate it as a vehicle that moves you around the world in a manner that brings you joy, end quote. Overall, there is a focus on what your body can do for you rather than what it looks like. The aim of body neutrality is to feel at peace with your body, which is deserving of respect without judgment or criticism. Positivity is not forced, and a thread of communication is opened between you and your body. You are encouraged to recognize your body's abilities and non-physical characteristics that contribute to forming the whole of your person. Quote, Body neutrality communicates that our bodies are vehicles that, when treated with care, can become vibrant vessels for life to move through them, end quote. The body positivity and body neutrality movements are not mutually exclusive. They may overlap, be oscillated between, depending on the needs of the individual. If you're looking for an example of what the dialogue might be internally or externally with body positivity versus body neutrality, here are three examples. Someone who is body positive might say, 
I feel good about myself because I know that I'm beautiful, versus someone who's body neutral might say, how I feel about myself has nothing to do with my appearance. Someone who's body positive might say, feeling attractive is a prerequisite to happiness, versus someone who's body neutral might say, being preoccupied with what I see in the mirror leads to unhappiness. And then finally, someone who's body positive might say, my body is beautiful, flaws and all. Versus someone who's body neutral might say, my body is just my vehicle, and the most interesting parts about me lie within. Another movement of note is that of the fat acceptance movement, in which hopes to reclaim the word fat, challenge fat phobia and fat shaming, and promote acceptance of all sizes, not just fat bodies that have an hourglass shape or fit into the smallest plus sizes. Generally, fat people have to fight against weight stigma, which is the bias or stereotyping of a certain person because of their size. Health at every size, the Hayes model of recovery, challenges the idea that thinness is a prerequisite for health and wellness. Linda Bacon, author of Health at Every Size, acknowledges that well-being and healthy habits are more important than any number on the scale. Further, Hayes celebrates new components in recognition of a more radical inclusivity. On their website, it reads, quote, Health at every size is the new peace movement. It helps us to recognize that health outcomes are primarily driven by social, economic, and environmental factors, requiring a social and political response. It also supports people of all sizes in adopting healthy behaviors. It is an inclusive movement recognizing that our social characteristics, such as our size, race, national origin, sexuality, gender, disability status, and other attributes, are assets, and acknowledges challenging the structural and systemic forces that impinge on living well. End quote. Hayes grounds itself in the reality that diets ultimately fail, which can result in an overwhelming sense of defeat for those who are prescribed the prevailing eat-less-move-more paradigm. By promoting intuitive eating and movement, Hayes guards against potentially damaging disordered eating and offers a psychological benefit, disentangling self-value with an ideal body aesthetic. Diets fail because our bodies and our weights are genetically predetermined. Our genes code for our build, metabolism, musculature, and height. Everyone has a biologically determined weight range for optimal functioning. These weight ranges are not dictated or determined by BMI categories. In fact, someone might be considered overweight according to the BMI designation, yet exist at a really healthy weight for their specific body. BMI, body mass index, is a ratio of your height to your weight, yet know that it is complete BS. The BMI as a health metric began by a Belgian astronomer and mathematician in the 1830s as a way to quantify subjects for a research study and observe norms based on the bell curve. The measurement does not account for human diversity and genetics, such as health history, current health, ethnicity, bone density, muscle mass, diet, or physical activity. In the 1940s, the MetLife Insurance Company began to use the BMI measurement 
to determine how much to charge their customers for insurance. They came up with the ideal weight charts without any scientifically determined evidence, showing a causal link between weight and mortality. It became the topic of a lobbying campaign and was eventually adopted by doctors, epidemiologists, and the federal government as a way to determine a person's health despite having no legitimate claim to health. In 1998, the federal government lowered the BMI criteria for overweight and obesity, which means on the day the criteria changed, 29 million people became fat who were not considered fat the day before. The BMI measurement is BS. But returning to our discussion about set point theory and how our weight is genetically predetermined. When you eat too little, your metabolism and body temperature decreases to conserve energy. Your appetite increases in the short term and your food preoccupation grows. When you eat too much, your body temperature increases and your metabolism increases to burn off excess energy. When you suppress your predetermined weight set point in eating disorders or disordered eating, your physical hunger cues will cease to save energy. Yet mental hunger becomes all-consuming. The body's natural response to a conscious or unconscious period of under-eating is to eat and try to repair itself. Quote, Evidence is found in just about every single study using diets. The vast majority of people who try to lose weight on a restrictive diet, regain it, regardless of whether they maintain their diet or exercise program. This occurs in all studies, no matter how many calories or what proportions of fat, protein, or carbohydrates are used in the diets or what types of exercise programs are pursued. Many studies show that dieting is a strong predictor of a future weight gain. End quote. Your body knows where it has to land. And I know this is easier said than done, but trust it. Respecting yourself and your body is an act of personal salvation in the face of a relentless and toxic eating disorder voice or pressurized ideals of beauty as thinness in society. Your identity need not be dictated by your size, by your weight, or by your BMI. Your identity can exclude those measures of self-worth as sanctioned by society. If you would like to learn more about what sources I used in the discussion of weight gain and recovery, or about the body positivity and body neutrality movements, my citations will be placed in the show notes. Next week, HTIL will discuss anorexic literature and thinness as an aesthetic. Tune in on Friday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. All new episodes of HTIL will be uploaded to Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts by 11.59 p.m. each Sunday night if you miss the live broadcast. Feel free to return to old episodes by visiting these sites. If you would like to listen to my own ED story, you can listen on any of these platforms. Please consider sharing the podcast with family, friends, or those who you feel could specifically benefit. If you or someone you love might be struggling with an eating disorder, know that you have my full support in recovery 
and consider seeking treatment. If you feel treatment may be inaccessible to you, please consider seeking support through Project HEAL, which is the largest nonprofit in the United States delivering prevention, treatment financing, and recovery support for those struggling with eating disorders. Disordered eating has ruled my life for nearly six years, and I didn't think anything would ever be able to come in between that. Treatment did, and treatment does. If you are in a crisis situation, please contact NEDA's helpline by texting NEDA to 741741. HTIL has its very own Instagram and Twitter accounts, so if you would like to suggest your own episode topic or interact with the podcast further, please feel free to follow on Instagram at Heavier Than I Look and Twitter at HTIL Podcast. If you are interested in sharing your own story as a feature on the show, please direct message me on Instagram or Twitter. Don't be afraid to reach out. I would love to hear from you. My podcast, Heavier Than I Look, aims to empower survivors, educate listeners, and foster conversation surrounding eating disorders and body dysmorphia. Eating disorders demand silence, yet this podcast is an attempt to de-isolate and destigmatize a survivor's experience by giving a voice to each story. We must abandon a quantitative numerical definition of identity and reclaim our self-definition to exist beyond the numbers that rule our lives. In this way, HTL is a space of healing, recovery, and storytelling. Let us no longer wonder how little space we can comprise, but instead wonder how to make that space one filled with love and sympathy. Goodbye for now. <laughs>